0: Knowing that I was going to commence um, uh, a four week uh, teaching series this morning on this uh, subject entitled Be Bold, um, I asked Julie a question uh, this week. And the question I asked her was uh, What is the boldest thing that we have ever done? Speaking of us as a couple. And um, she didn't answer immediately. She took a few minutes to think about it. And then she said that the boldest thing that we have done as a couple was some 33 years ago to leave our home city in Swansea and to start on a journey that would change the course of our lives. I was fascinated by the answer because... um, that now is so distant in my memory, I'd, al- I- I'd almost forgotten how bold that was, that decision was at, at, at the time. And uh, uh, the more I thought about it, the more convinced I was uh, that she was correct. There's a lot of buzzing, Your guys, coming back on the, uh, the full backs, thank you. <coughs> You see, we were a young couple who believed that the Lord was uh, leading us into full-time Christian ministry and that it required leaving a life behind which was quite safe and quite secure and quite ordered. And I just love that uh, Ian White song that uh, was sung to us a moment ago with a line in it which says, a ship that's in the harbour is still and safe from harm, but it was not built to be there. It was made for wind and storm. And to be honest with you, up until that point in our lives, I think that we had probably lived a bit of a harbour existence. You know, we were protected and sheltered and safe and secure and spiritually comfortable. But we knew that God was calling us to, you know, sort of carry on the metaphor, was calling us to a life on the open seas. And we believed that uh, we were created and called by God to experience far more than we were experiencing at the time and I believe that that is also the, uh, the situation for all, all of us here as well. Many of you know our story and therefore I'm a little bit reticent this morning to talk about it again but as a young couple, as many young couples are, we weren't very wealthy mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're just trying to do our best to make ends meet. and. Uh, I, was with, uh, I was working with two jobs to just make ends meet for our family at the time, and, but we were secure. And to enter theological college meant giving up my jobs, selling our mid-terrace two-bedroomed uh, home, uh, moving away from family ties with our then two children. And uh, for Julie at least, maybe for me as well, the worst of all was actually moving to England. But uh, that's another story. And for months before leaving, uh, I had major doubts. We had major doubts whether we were actually doing the right thing in all of this. Because for the first year at least, we, we knew how much our income was, and our expenditure was actually twice as much as our income. And we asked ourselves on many occasions if we were being obedient to Jesus or if we were just being plain reckless. And it's not always easy, is it, to discern which is which whether you're actually being bold and courageous and following Jesus, or you're just being reckless. And we, we weren't that sure on times, whether we were being fools for Christ or we were just being plain foolhardy. We wanted to do the right thing, of course we did, by God. Um, but we were also responsible parents, and we didn't chil- want to put our children in, in any way into any kind of jeopardy. And yet now, 33 years on, with the the great benefit of hindsight, I can say that that one act of bold faith set the tone for the rest of our life so far. Uh, And everything since 1984 has been colored by that one decision that we made then to be obedient to God. No regrets, and I think that would probably be an understatement. Now, over the next uh, four weeks, we are going to be focusing on this subject of being bold. And we're gonna look together at a few stories taken from um, Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament. It was written by a medical doctor named Luke. In the New Testament, he wrote two volumes. The first was his Gospel of Luke which took us up to the time that Jesus ascended into heaven. And his second volume, the book of Acts, takes us from the time that he ascended into heaven and maybe for the next 30 years or so, uh, the first century Christians. And Luke captures some of the highlights of this uh, first generation of Christians. And the most dominant theme in his book is boldness. So what is boldness? Let me put a definition up before you. Boldness is behaviour born out of belief. And if you're writing notes this morning, write that one down. Boldness is behaviour born out of belief. Because what you believe always determines how you behave. Capture that. What you believe always determines how you behave. Uh, you know, we love that great verse, which is actually on, on the banner over there. From uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, it's really interesting, those of you that know your way around the New Testament, that that is in the book of Romans that uh, Paul wrote, a letter to the the church at Rome. The first eleven chapters, just before we get to this particular verse in chapter twelve, verse one, the first eleven chapters, Paul is instructing them uh, uh, over what they believe—that salvation is through faith in Christ—and then in verse twelve, uh, verse, uh, chapter twelve, verse one, he changes direction and he says, "Therefore, in the light of everything that I've just been telling you for the last eleven chapters." all about God's grace and mercy to you, I'm now asking you to do something. If you can understand that, if you can understand what God's grace and mercy is to you, then I want you to do something. And what I want you to do is to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Live for him more wholeheartedly. And Paul is demonstrating here this important principle of what you believe always determines how you behave. Boldness is behaviour. Which is born out of belief. Now, just going for a moment back to Julie's and my journey of faith. The reason that we made such a bold decision was due to the fact that we believed that God was calling us to do what we did. And the decision that we made was based on the belief that God knows best, God's ways are always best for every person, that God is a loving Father and that he has a plan and a purpose for us. So our decision was not just based on something in thin air, it was based on those foundations. And you see, if we didn't believe those things about God, then such a decision, you know, I'd be the first to admit, would have been utterly foolish and reckless. What you believe determines how you behave. And if you believe that someone is criticizing you, then you are probably going to behave tentatively. You're going to be hesitant and timid. If you believe that you're going to fail, then you're going to act cautiously and you're going to be probably quite guarded in your words and in your actions. Conversely, if you believe that the Lord is calling you and equipping you, then you're going to be bold. And my prayer is that all of us will become more bold in our words and in our deeds. You know, some people are naturally bold, aren't they? You know, those uh, those people that just sort of jump in with two feet, you know, they, they, they jump in where angels fear to tread, as we say. And uh, they are the people who, when they were children, they turned their parents' hair gray. You know, they could never see any danger in anything. They were always up trees or doing handstands on bicycles, going down the road or whatever it was. And their parents just needed a a season ticket in accident and emergency because they were always going there with cuts and bruises and and stitches and so forth. But other people are naturally cautious. They are restrained and they are careful and undemonstrative. Now Timothy, the one that uh, the Apostle Paul calls his spiritual son. He was a, a little bit like that, you know, and Paul needed to remind him these words in 2 Timothy 1.7. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, he was probably called Timid Timothy when he was at school. But Timothy was the very opposite to a guy called Peter. Peter was bold at least in his intentions. And I think we all know the story of the time that he said to Jesus, I'll boldly stand with you. I'll be you. I'll watch your back. I'll be your guy. These other guys, well, you know, even if they turn away from you, I'm never going to do that. I'll never deny you. And before the end of the day, Peter, who was so bold in his words, was not so bold in his actions. And he had denied the Lord three times and once even before a little schoolgirl bold intentions, but they were followed by timid actions. Something happened to Peter that caused him to change totally. Um, A switch was flicked in his life. And actually, it wasn't one thing, but it was three things. Three things. One was a physical thing, one was an emotional thing, and one was a spiritual thing. So what was it that happened to Peter to turn him from this guy who ran away to a guy who was someone who was incredibly bold. with three things, as I say. First of all, physical. Peter witnessed the crucifixion. He witnessed Jesus die, but he also witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. There was no way that he could ever, ever, ever deny again what he had seen in the resurrection of Jesus. The Jewish Sanhedrin, now they were like the the, the ruling council, the highest court in the land that were made up of religious Pharisees and aristocratic Sadducees. They ordered on one occasion Peter and John not to speak about Christ. And Peter's response to them was quite wonderful. This is what he said in uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 19. Writes there that uh, Peter and John replied, which is right In God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, that's to God. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And as we know, Peter ultimately gave his life as a martyr in following Jesus. And uh, that wasn't for some theory that he believed in or some religious ideology, but rather because he witnessed firsthand the resurrection of Jesus. So that was the physical aspect. What was the emotional then? I want you for a moment just to put yourself in Peter's shoes. This is a guy who was so bold in his words, I'll stand with you, even if the others fail, I'm going to be with you. And yet, when it came to the crunch, he was someone who lost his nerve. And we are told that uh, Peter denied the Lord three times and um, and the cock crowed as uh, the Lord said that it would. And Luke gives a little detail in his gospel, which the other gospels don't give us. And th- this detail is that when the cock crowed, Jesus looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine that? They must have been obviously in close enough proximity, maybe across a courtyard, but Jesus looked straight at Peter. Can you just imagine what that must have felt like for Peter to look into the eyes of his friend, knowing that he had let him down terribly, looking into those eyes which were full of compassion and and kindness. Can you just imagine for a moment the emotional trauma that he experienced, that sense of self-loathing, that sense of guilt, of shame, of not being man enough to stand up for Jesus? How do you come back from such a dark place as that? Well, Peter was was a broken man. There's no doubt about that. He was a man who was, um, you know, (laughs) how how can I ever be forgiven again? And reading what we read in the scriptures, it's quite fascinating the way that uh, he is actually brought back to that place of restoration. We're told that when the women arrived at the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning, they encountered an angel who told them in uh, Mark 16, 7, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Why on earth did the angel single out Peter here? Well, it's maddening, but we're not told. We're not told the answer to that. But my guess is that Peter was singled out amongst all of the disciples because he was the one who needed most healing. And then we read in John chapter 21 the great story of Jesus, the risen Jesus meeting with Peter and having breakfast on the beach. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Which corresponds with the three times that Peter denied him. And... Jesus gave him a commission to go and feed and take care of his sheep. Now, you see, if Peter was going to be useful to God, then he needed to return to that place in his life of greatest failure, to receive forgiveness, to receive a new start. And Jesus needed to let Peter know that he was still okay. He'd messed up, yeah, but there was still a way back. Peter, I want you to really know you yeah, that you're still a part of my team, yeah. And well, that's what the Bible calls grace, undeserved. He didn't deserve it, undeserved favor. So that was the emotional reason, perhaps, that Peter came to a better place. But then there was a spiritual place, a spiritual reason as well, because ten days after Jesus ascended into heaven, we read that the Holy Spirit came in power on the day of Pentecost. You know the story. The disciples spoke in tongues. They praised God. Jewish people from all parts of the world were in Jerusalem at that time celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. They heard these disciples praising God in their own language and asked, what does this mean? Some of them poked fun at the disciples. Some of them thought they were drunk. But Peter said, no, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And then Peter gets up to speak to the crowd. And actually gives one of the boldest messages in the history of mankind. Wasn't very politically correct, I must say. You know, he he says things like, you know, men of Israel, listen to this. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, who you put to death by nailing him to the cross, has been raised from the dead by God. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation and so forth. And 3,000 people became Christians that day. Amazing boldness. But that wasn't the only bold thing that Peter did. The next thing that Luke tells us in the early chapters of Acts is about Peter and John, that they were going to the temple to pray about three o'clock in the afternoon. They come across a guy who had been crippled since he was born 40 years ago. And this guy calls out to Peter and John for money, and Peter says to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then Peter takes this guy by the hand, helps him to his feet, and he starts walking and jumping and praising God. Great story. Some story that, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but in my book, that was pretty bold by Peter. You know, for heaven's sake, he didn't even say, you know, Lord, if it be thy will, will you heal this man? He just declared healing in the name of Jesus, and then there's one guy aged forty who had never walked in his life, walks, and the crowd who saw this guy, and in fact they'd seen him begging all through the years, was now, they were now ready to listen to Peter. And then Peter rather boldly tells the crowd that this guy was, named, was healed in the name of Jesus. And then he says to them, the one that you handed over to be killed. Peter not only sticks the knife in, he gives it a good turn around as well. <laughs> he, un- he makes them truly understand uh, what was going on here. What happens next is that Peter and John were arrested by the temple guards who were under the control of the Sanhedrin. They were put in jail overnight. And the following day they were brought before the Sanhedrin, seventy one members. Just imagine the scene for a moment, okay? Put yourselves in in that place. The Sanhedrin met. They were all in their long robes. They would line up in a big circle. They put the people on trial right in the middle and try to intimidate them. They told questions from every direction and then ultimately decide upon their fate. That was incredibly threatening for them. And then one guy shouts out, by what power or what name did you do this? That is, heal this guy who had been a cripple since birth, this 40-year-old man. And I just want us to pick up the story there and listen to what happens next. Found in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. I'll put the, uh, the verse on screen. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and I suppose we're told that to to let us know that he wasn't doing this in his own strength. It was with the power of God. Said to them, rulers and elders of our people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a crippled man and are asked how he was healed, and you just get the sense here, don't you, that Peter is not going to take any prisoners with his answers. And I just wonder, you know, if John is beside him Sorry, I, my, my mind's just getting carried away here. But John's standing beside him, whispering out the side of his mouth. Steady on, Peter. Tone it down. Tone it down. Da- tone, it, tone it down, please. Tone it down. We're speaking to the Sanhedrin here. And Peter says, "'You want to know by what power or name "'we made this man walk?' And then he just blurted out. "'He said it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth.' Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter is standing before the same people who had declared that Jesus was to be crucified only some weeks before. And he doesn't hold back. He tells them that this guy was healed by the powerful name of Jesus. He doesn't seem to be able to help himself here, does he? where he says again, as he said before, you know the one, the one that you crucified. But God raised from the dead. I cannot possibly overstate how bold that was. The Sanhedrin hated Jesus. They were glad that he was gone. They never wanted to hear mention of his name again. The Sadducees who arrested Peter and John they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. So what does Peter do? He looks right at the people who had the power to kill him, and he says, you killed Jesus. And he's back, and guess what? It was God that raised him from the dead. That takes bottle, I think. And do you know what, he doesn't even stop there. You think, you know, if he's winning, you know, give it up, Peter, stop there. You know, this is going to turn very, very, very nasty, but he doesn't. This is what he says next. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. This was a declaration of war. So how did the Sanhedrin act? This is what they, that we read. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, for the rest of the time this morning, um, I want to, I've laid the foundations of where we're heading with this story. I want us to take some stuff from this story and apply it to our lives and take it home with us later on. So three things I want us to take home this morning. From that verse. The first thing is that God gives ordinary people extraordinary boldness. Now the Greek word, the New Testament is written in Greek, the Greek word for ordinary is the word idiotis. (laughs) You are ahead of me. It can mean unlearned or unschooled or lacking professional skill. But as you look at that word on the screen, what do you think is the most literal translation of that one word? Idiots. Correct. You see, maybe just the Bible translations were a little bit too polite in the way that they translated that particular verse. But what we are being told here is that the Sanhedrin couldn't believe the boldness of these idiots that were standing before them. Isn't it wonderful that God specializes in using idiots? (laughs) And this morning, if you are the brightest and the best, uh, if if, if you are the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest, I want you to be encouraged. God loves you too. (laughs) Yeah, he does. I'm sure he does. But his real speciality is in using ordinary people, and God just loves to take those people that other people overlook, and to give them his boldness. As someone once said, God must love ordinary people, because he's made so many of us. Do you remember Corinthians? Do you remember anything about that? Any of you? Remember, remember those guys? Paul tells us that God uses the foolish people of this world to shame the wise and the weak people of this world to shame the mighty, way back in 1 Corinthians 1. You see, there are many ways of us being bold. You know, being bold doesn't necessarily mean that you stand on a soapbox in Saint Editha's Square on uh, a Saturday on market day and tell the shoppers who are passing by that they are sinners and need God. Or you don't need to be someone who wears a bodyboard with, you know, the the (laughs) words "repent, the 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 end is near." Great uh, cartoon there of Homer Simpson. You see, my point is, being bold doesn't mean necessarily being weird. And if you work in an office where the conversation deteriorates, as soon as a member of staff might leave the room, everybody is gossiping about that person. Or maybe it deteriorates into a kind of smutty locker room banter. And you make a stand by either, ask, by, by either asking your uh, friends to refrain from from doing that, or might something even more straightforward, then what you were doing there was being bold. You know, if you're out on a night out with your friends who are getting drunk and becoming loud and boisterous, but you are sensible with your alcohol intake, so that you can maintain not only a clear head, but maintain your Christian testimony, what are you being? You're being bold. Because you are choosing not to conform to the standards of your friends by allowing them to squeeze you into their mold. If you choose not to go onto a nightclub after that pleasant night out with your friends, which means that you don't get home at silly o'clock in the morning, and your friends ask you, why are you being so boring? And you tell them, well, I've got to be in church for 1030 Guess what you're being? Bold. If you're a business person and you know that there's um, a lot of money to be made from some deal but in your heart of hearts you don't feel quite right about this deal. There are some issues. There are some ethical questions. Your conscience may be jabbed by some aspect of it so you decide to walk away from that deal which would make you a lot of money. Again, What are you being? Bold. I know that some of you have been praying for a family member or friend for many years. You would love them to come to faith. But you are just a little bit afraid of how how they would react if you would dare to mention the name God in their presence. But despite your fears, you invite them to Alpha. Did you know this one's starting here? (laughs) On the 19th of September, <laughs> just a little plug, you do that anyway, that's bold. I'm sure you get the idea. The second thing that we see here is that your boldness will amaze others. Let me ask you a question. How amazed are people by your boldness on a scale one to 1 to 10? That's a question for you to think about this week. How bold are you on a scale of one to 10? Now the boldness that I'm, not, uh, that I'm talking about is not some kind of wacky and weird, cringy and plain, plain cheesy kind of boldness that I've seen more than enough of over the years. And as Christians, I think that we can be so stupid on times, can't we, we really can, in what we think is bold. Um, forgive me if I've told you this story, I'm sure I have at some time or other. I remember many moons ago when I was at uh, Cardiff University, I was a fairly new Christian. It was in the late 1970s and uh, I was very bold. But I was also very tactless and very unwise as well. And on one occasion, our class was asked to prepare a five-minute talk on any subject of our choice, to stand before the cameras, we would be filmed. Then that film would be played back so that we could critique each other's presentation skills. And video cameras were in their infancy, and this was all brand new technology. I decided to talk to that class as a brand new Christian on the second coming of Jesus Christ, (laughs) because I had read some rather obscure, very dubious American publication, paperback, that gave me all the answers that I needed. (laughs) They couldn't do anything other than listen to me. They were sitting ducks. In my mind's eye, I even imagined that my fellow students and lecturers would be so touched by my presentation that they would give their lives to Christ. In fact, I thought it was Billy Graham, move over, there's a new kid on the block. (laughs) As I remember it, that, that talk didn't go well. And I can remember that now 40 years on. And I can quite tangibly feel that deep sense of embarrassment and pain of actually being laughed out of the room. Some of them were literally crying with their hankies wiping their faces, others stuffed their handkerchiefs in their mouths. It wasn't nice and it wasn't because I was in a class of militant atheists. The truth is that I got laughed out of the room because I was just a fundamentalist plonker lacking in wisdom and lacking in knowledge. That was the truth. You see, we Christians, sometimes in trying to act normal, we can act so weird. And that was weird. And if there's anybody listening on podcast who was in that room at that time, I am so, so sorry that you were there. And I do apologize. I think I've become a little bit more normal over the years, honest. (laughs) You see, one one of the other pet hits that I have is cheesy signs outside churches. Anybody else with me there? You know, some of them are quite funny, you know, we'll we, we give them that. But some of them are awful. And, you know, Julie and I pass one church uh, maybe two or three times a year and each time we pass this particular church, we groan thinking, oh, what are they playing at? How on earth do they think that they're being attractive to people who are not Christians through such cheesy nonsense? Actually, I came across uh, not a church sign earlier on this week, but uh, it was another sign. I imagine a sign that people would put up as a poster in their house or bedroom or whatever. And I'm going to put it up on screen for you. Brace yourselves. Are you ready for this? In fact, I was uh, not sure whether I should share this or not. Simply because some of you might think it's a good example, and actually get this poster and put it up in your rooms, which will absolutely destroy my ministry. I just want you to know that in advance, okay? Are you ready for it? Okay, your goes. Is that the cheesiest thing you have ever seen in your life? I want to be, don't tell me that you've got it, please don't. <laughs> I want <laughs> to be so full of Christ that if a mosquito bites me, it flies away singing, There is power in the blood. <laughs> are these people real? Okay, coming back to the question How amazed are people at your boldness? Yeah. People are turned off by cheesy Christianity. But I think that people are also turned off by an insipid Christianity that is virtually silent where Christians hide their faith away and they will never stand up and be counted for what they believe. You see, the way that the media often portrays Christians is that they have this kind of faith which is bland and insipid and colorless and unexciting the kind of faith that Harold Bishop has of neighbors or maybe Dot Cotton from East Enders. Now, personally, I simply cannot acquit with that kind of blandness or their kind of blandness with the abundant life that Jesus has promised to give those who are Christians, those who follow him. You see, Jesus did not save us in order to make us bland and insipid and wishy-washy. Jesus saved us to astonish those who observe us by looking at the quality and the, the abundance of our lives and the boldness in which we serve Him. You see, there are times that we will need to raise our head above the parapet to stand up and be counted as a follower of Jesus. And over the last few weeks, I've spoken to a number of people actually. I, sorry, I'm going to embarrass you, Linda. I hope you're. I'm sorry. A number of people who have been amazed at your boldness, that, you know, in setting up the lighthouse, a special service for people with with learning difficulties. Linda, this is uh, something that uh, the Lord has set on Linda's heart, and Linda said, yes, Lord, I'm going to go for that in your strength and with your help, I'm, I'm going to go for it. That's bold. That's making a decision to make a difference in the lives of others. And I know that there are many others, like, I'm, I'm sorry I embarrassed you, but, you know. I've been having conversations recently with people not a part of, of, of our church and telling them about this, and they have been so wow, wow, um, because that has impressed them greatly. And we're not you know, running this for another three months yet. Going back to our, our points, our third point is that spiritual boldness comes from knowing Christ. Do You see the verse there, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. they recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Boldness is always a byproduct of knowing Jesus. A byproduct of knowing Jesus. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, the King James Version, it says, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Okay, let me put a diagram up on the screen for you. Four arrows in, in, in a circle. And let's see if this can help you um, understand what I'm saying here. The first word, time. Time with Jesus leads us to more Faith. And the deeper our faith and our trust will lead us onto greater boldness. And as boldness grows, it will lead to greater results. And when you see <coughs> those greater results, it encourages you to spend more time with Jesus, which increases your faith and your trust in Him, which increases your boldness, which increases further results to be seen. But I think that the opposite is also true. If you do not spend time with Jesus, then you do not learn to trust him and his ways. You fail to venture out and you will never see God working miraculously, wonderfully in your lives. You'll never walk on water unless you get out of the boat. That's uh, something I'm sure is a phrase that we've seen on many occasions. But let me add to that. And you will never be prepared to get out of the boat unless you're in that right place of hearing Jesus. I think probably that's a a good place for us to stop this morning, that you will never walk on water unless you get out of the boat. And you will never be prepared to get out of the boat unless you are in that place of hearing Jesus. Time has gone. And I sense this morning that there may be some of you here, maybe one of you here, who has just sensed the Lord touch something in your heart this morning. Maybe it is that you are conscious as you look at your own life that you are far too timid. There's more of Timothy about you than Peter. And that you've managed to hide your faith well over the years from colleagues and from friends because you are so anxious what they might think about you. Maybe you're a person this morning who feels a little bit like that ship that's stuck in the harbor rather than the ship that's on the open seas. And your experience of the Christian faith is rather a static one and, um, you know, it's, it's rather tiresome rather than this... Dynamic Christian life. In other words, you're a bit more of a Harold Bishop than an Apostle Paul. Maybe this morning you feel a little bit jealous, uh, jealous over the way that God seems to be using your friends, but never seems to use you in the same way. And if that's you this morning, then maybe you need to ask first of all, "Or am I spending time aside with Jesus, who is the source, isn't he? The source of our wisdom?" and our strength and our guidance and our power and everything else. Another question to ask ourselves is, are we willing to take some risks? Even though in times we, we might get it very, very wrong, like I did in that university class 40 years ago. You see, I, I, I believe that it's always better to try and fail and fail to try. And the closer that we walk with Jesus, I believe that the more that we will hear his voice, the more that we will trust him, the bolder that we will become. And as Daniel says, that we will be strong and do exploits. Guys, would you like to just uh, come back, please? We, we're just gonna pray in a moment. And um, maybe you would just stand with me. Let's just pray. We've, we've heard from the scriptures this morning. There may be things this morning that have touched you particularly. Um, I really do sense that maybe for for some of you at least, there is a decision to make right now. And that decision is that by God's grace, you will act more boldly for him. Maybe some of you this morning might have felt just a, a nudge in the ribs, not from the person sat next to you, from the Holy Spirit, and you know exactly what this message means for you this morning. I might have been speaking in general terms, but you know specifically what it is that you need to become far bolder with those those the specifics. And for some of you, may really sense today that uh, yes, that illustration, that metaphor, of being. Out, you know, sort of standing out of the boat, getting out of the boat uh, is something which really means something to you. You've been in that boat in the safety and security for so long, very much a harbour existence, but the Lord is saying to you, now, okay, those things that I have spoken to you about many times before when I'm nudging you, well, I'm nudging you again, and today I want you to do something about that. There may be others here this morning, you might not be a Christian you might be on the edge. You might appreciate uh, your friends, uh, family members, your Christians, but in your heart of hearts, you know that that is not a step that you have made. And I would say to you as well this morning: uh, maybe it's a time for boldness for you today. That this is your moment, because God can do far more with you alive than you ever thought possible. Uh, you know, I'm a sort of a living testimony of this. That I have not looked back ever since that moment. I have followed Jesus. He just, well, abundant life is 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 a good way of expl- explaining what what that life is like. And maybe for you this morning, that is your prayer. Maybe in a faltering, small way, but you are just taking your little hand and saying, "Okay, Lord, I'm not sure about this. I haven't got all my." answers, but I'm going to trust you today, and that's what I'm going to do. So let's pray together. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Dear Lord, we thank you that by your spirit you speak to us all in different ways. And this morning, Lord, the message has been general in many respects. By your spirit you apply it very directly to our lives. And the way that that is applied in one person's life is very, very different from another person. And I just pray, Lord, as, our, as we are before you today, and as you see our hearts and you know us through and through, I pray, Lord, that we might have that spirit of boldness. For those of us who are Christians, Lord, that we might be bolder than we've ever been in our lives that we would not be ashamed of you, that we would not be frightened to name ourselves as your people, that, Lord, we would not be afraid to share our testimony of your grace to others around us, that we would not be afraid, Lord, to to serve you in some capacity that you've laid upon our hearts. Whatever it is, Lord, we pray today that we would not be in this harbour existence, but we would... Desire to serve you, that we would live life in the open seas of faith. And for folk here this morning, Lord, who may not have ever taken that step of trusting you, I just pray, Lord, that today might be their day of making that step forward in your direction. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a confirmation of your spirit who would just come upon them now, giving them assurance of your eternal love to them. Do this, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that soon they would be declaring your praises and your goodness to others. For this we ask in your name. Amen. Please stay standing. We're going to sing a a song which is very much in this theme as we close our service this morning. So stay standing. Let's sing this together.